Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I am your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I am happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA, and today I'm excited to bring to you Miss Dana Bozeman from the University of Chicago. Miss Dana, are you there? Yes, I am. Wonderful. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your institution. So I am currently the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at UChicago Grad, which is the department within the University of Chicago. Our institution was founded in 1890. It is an Ivy Plus school, so we are not a part of the Ivy League, but we are a part of this very highly selected institutions in the Ivy Plus. Our total enrollment is a little bit over 14,000 and of that about 8,000 of that is graduate students which is unusual. So we only have about 6,000, a little bit over 6,000 undergraduate students and we have a great deal of graduate and professional students on our campus. We're in Chicago which I'm very proud is my hometown in an urban setting in the Hyde Park neighborhood which I also grew up in Hyde Park so shout out to Hyde Park. And I personally work, as I said, in diversity and inclusion within UChicago grad. So I'm very excited that our university made the commitment to have a full department that's dedicated to graduate students, which, as you may know, is relatively unusual in student affairs. We have career services colleagues, as well as colleagues helping with fellowship, also doing some of the social things. And then for my part, I'm working with our underrepresented and marginalized students. So I work with their student experience. We have a diversity advisory board. I also have a diversity work group that kind of helps to centralize some of the people that work with diverse constituents in graduate and professional schools. Because we're a very decentralized university, it helps us to benchmark best practices across the university when it comes to diversity. Also, I do advising appointments, both personal and professional. The majority of my advising appointments for the professional have to do with diversity statements. Many of our our PhD students and postdocs are looking for either a postdoc fellowship or they are looking for a faculty position and a diversity statement is required. And so that's something that we're able to talk through together. We also have various programs to support our diverse constituents, as well as some unique programs like our C3 program, which is a consortium that works with liberal arts colleges. And it's based on a Mellon grant in order to expose undergraduates at those liberal arts colleges to graduate students and graduate students to these smaller liberal arts colleges to consider for faculty. There's probably a bunch of other things that I do, but that's the gist of it. Wow. And that's exciting. First of all, it's exciting to know that the University of Chicago is committed to diversity and inclusion by having you in that position. And how long have you been doing that position? So actually, I just started at UChicago in this position in September. So I was replacing another fabulous colleague who went on to Columbia University. 
University, and she's doing the work there as well. Selena Chapman Nelson, who left me a great path to follow. And previous to that, I was at Northwestern University, also working with graduate students, but not specifically as a diversity and inclusion professional. And you talked about working with marginalized students. What is the ethnic breakdown at U Chicago? That's a great question. I don't know that I know the exact percentage, but I can tell you that our underrepresented populations definitely find themselves in most areas with exception to the humanities being one, if not the only, especially for our PhD students. Uh, So whether they're Latinx or um, identify as Black, or even if they hold another marginalized identity, such as being an LGBTQIA member, you will find that there's additional support and community needed because like most selective institutions in general, they're looking for community to support the experience that they're having. Interesting. So with that being said, I never heard IV Plus, or maybe I haven't just didn't understand it. Kind of explain that a little bit. So IV Plus is a group of institutions that have not been admitted to the Ivy League because that has been something that you have to go through a voting process. It has connotations of academic excellence, selectivity, and admissions. It does have some social elitism (laughs) as a part of it. So we know that the Ivy is like Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Yale. They are basically closely parity um, Ivy schools as far as the level and academic rigor, but they haven't been admitted to the Ivy League. Actually, UChicago has gone through the voting process a couple of times, but we have not been admitted. So we are known as a highly competitive, very rigorous institution. We are close to the Ivy, but not quite there. Probably that Ivy brand, they probably want to keep to those particular schools. And so basically you're like the next tier of that type of, like you said, academic rigor, academic excellence, competitiveness in the sense. So in your work at UChicago, and this sounds like that you are working with grad students, which brings us to the topic of today's discussion, which is working with adults and graduate students and the things that we as professionals need to know. So that brings us to the KC, which is affectionately known as AGAPS, but please tell us exactly what that stands for. So AGAPS is the Administrators in Graduate and Professional Student Services. I wouldn't say we're a new KC, but as with most things regarding graduate students within student affairs, we are newer. So as we had NASPA celebrating the 100 years, we were celebrating 20 years, which was about on par with when people started thinking differently about supporting graduate and professional students, recognizing that the populations had shifted, that the experience had shifted. I mean, there was a time when it was mostly white males, and now that is there's a far more diverse constituency. The style in which people take their classes is different. The age at which they come in, because it used to be either you were coming directly in and spending your full time there, or you were coming back and still mostly spending your full time there. And the experience is so different, and the ways in which we need to support our students are so different. What I love about this, Casey, and I am the national chair of the AGAPS knowledge community is that we work as a place to benchmark best practices for each other. There is a dearth of scholarship around supporting graduate and professional students, which we are definitely working on. So currently we are working on a book project that would be helpful both for administrators as well as those teaching HESA curriculum. And then we are also working on a curriculum project as well. And so we're really excited about those two 
projects because we recognize that we can really contribute to the scholarship around supporting graduate and professional students. Well, I definitely agree. That is something that is very important and has definitely, with the increased online population of people coming back to school, when I worked on my master's, I believe I was 28, 29 years old, and I know I felt weird for lack of better word, because a lot of the students that just graduated from undergrad and went directly into a master's program. But you'll find in student affairs, that is usually not the case with some of our very seasoned professionals. I'm now considered a new seasoned professional since I've been in NASPA for 19 years now. And that's kind of scary to even say that out loud. I recall the feelings that I had just being 28 and being in class with everyone. I mean, I might have been the oldest one of two of the oldest folk in the class at that time. And I was just like, oh my God, like I felt super old, number one. And basically what I'm saying is this is so needed to make those graduate students, adult learners, comfortable because you are sitting in a class and everyone is 21, 22, just got out of undergrad. But the real piece was when I did my doctorate, I was much older and started, I was almost 40. So at that point, it was like, now I felt like I was not the only one. And I think that increase of having a lot of our professionals, especially in NASPA, going back to school, because A, you know, NASPA encourages us to continue. And I'm sure within your KC, um, you're probably, I'm sure you're talking about it in the sense of the KC and the members of your KC who are interested in this particular field as far as having administrators helping with grad students. Talk a little bit about how the KC started and what was, and it sounds like probably what I'm saying is part of it, but how did the KC start in the sense of making sure that our members know that we need to support this group? So our KC started with a smaller group of people who were working with graduate students, the majority of them being student affairs professional and kind of thrust into these new positions. As you were saying, basically, in the very late 90s, early 2000s. And that was about the time that we had a shift in the age demographic of our populations, as well as they had people who were taking on positions where they were doing more social activities with our students. One of the things that we always joke about is that whenever you're talking about student affairs, many people don't really understand that we're way more than the you know pizza party people. They don't recognize the hard work and the theory and the knowledge that goes into supporting our students and making sure that we're able to help them along their academic journey. And so they just really needed a group of like-minded people that were also supporting graduate and professional students just to talk to. One of the things that we say commonly when people first join AGAPS is that they found their people. That's exactly how they feel because a lot of times when we're speaking to other student affairs professionals or anybody definitely outside of the field, they really don't understand the experience. Our interaction is very, very close with our academic units, but that doesn't always mean that the academic unit truly understand what we're doing. It doesn't always mean that we're valued, which is something that, you know, in community we need to support each other with. And then it also 
means that a lot of times we don't have positions that are in exact parity with each other because many of the institutions just kind of have various positions to meet the needs at that particular time. And so whether it's talking about orientations for graduate students, mental health and well-being, Title IX, all of the same topics that we talk about with undergraduates, but with a slightly different impact for our students and a different experience. You're absolutely right about that. I've noticed even at institutions that I've worked for, I said, we need a separate orientation for graduate level students because the difference with graduate level students, obviously, is that we all at least have a BA. So we've been through the undergraduate process, but we haven't been through the process at that institution. Absolutely. And that makes a big difference. I know even with transfer students, I know that's not the topic per se. I know I have fought at my own institution. I said, we need something different. I said, you know, the transfer student seems to be the stepchild of the university because they feel like, well, they've been to college. Just let them on in here. Here's a little online something and we'll see you in class. And it's not fair to not have that intentional program for them. And that's the same for graduate levels. Like, yes, we all have been in some cases with two degrees, you know, an undergrad, a master's, and especially for doctoral level, it's like you've been out, you've had kids, you've traveled, you've done, you've, you have kids, you've all these different things, you know, life. And now here you are 40, 45, coming back to grad school. And first of all, it's scary. I I remember walking in thinking, what the hell have I got myself into? (laughs) And this is when I started my grad program, my, my doctorate, it was 2003. So we were still using a whole, we were killing still a lot of trees at that time. And I remember the professor passing out the 42 page syllabus. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Like, I just couldn't believe it. And I know after that first class and talking to some of the colleagues, you know, when we have those breaks or we have those dinner breaks, because of course, your doctoral classes are usually in the evening, four to seven, seven to 10. And so when you're over, you know, over dinner and and we're all having these same feelings, it's like, am I the only one that's scared? They're like, no, girl, me too. And, and, and. That could have been, I mean, you're going to be scared, but that could have been alleviated with a specialized graduate orientation. Because even though we've all been to college at this point once or twice, it's a little bit different. Like, okay, don't forget there's a health center, you know, don't forget there's the disability services. Don't forget that, you know, things that I think some of our colleagues will take for granted that everybody's on the same page. But if you've been out of school 20 years, it's different. So I'll be 40 this year and I'm working on my ED right now. And (laughs) the resources, even doing this professionally, little things like the disability office and things of that nature that you just don't, I do this professionally and I forget that I should know what these resources are. It's really interesting and having people do things like their Title IX training online, while I think it's really important that graduate and professional students generally get a knowledge of Title IX, many of our graduate and professional students are working directly with our undergraduate students. Many of them are mandatory reporters and they really need to have more in-depth training when it comes to that so that they really have an understanding of what to say like the rest of us in student affairs. Many of them are not student affairs professionals, and so that's not necessarily going to be their forte, but they have to understand how to let someone know that they are mandated to disclose while still supporting a student. That alone is a very 
hard lesson and training that needs to be done, I feel like, in person. In addition to that, the career support is going to be very different. You were talking about your doctorate and uh, was that in higher ed administration or? Yes, educational leadership with an emphasis in higher ed administration. Yes. Right. And so one of the great things about that is that you have at least other people who probably are willing to say, yeah, this is scary. Many times our graduate and professional students are dealing with impossible syndrome, especially those, whether it's a woman in a male-dominated field or a person, you know, an LGBTQIA population or a Latinx or Black uh, person within their field, they're dealing with imposter syndrome. And one of the things that I've said previously is that when those feelings of imposterism are confirmed by the people that you're supposed to be working with, you don't feel safe to come out and say, I'm not feeling confident about this, or I have extra questions about this. And this is the time when you should be questioning things. This is the time where you should be learning about things. Um, But you feel as though uh, you will, the covers will get short and you'll be exposed if you were to let someone know that you're struggling in any particular area. And it's our job as student affairs professionals that are working with graduate and professional students to kind of recognize that, to hold open hours. So that's part of the, the the personal advising that I do for students who need to come in and just talk about their experience in that space and have a safe space to say that because they don't necessarily feel that way that with their faculty members because many of our students are having issues with their advisors and it's just that the advisor can say that they don't think they're quote unquote a good fit. Well, that could mean that they're no longer in a PhD program. That kind of power dynamic is awful. And that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out in this KC. How can we work with the academic side of the house to bring some kind of balance to that power dynamic for students? Because that's scary. You go into a program and whether, and I've seen this disproportionately with women of color, that their advisors will just say, oh, I just don't think we're a good fit. And then suddenly they're not doctoral students anymore. When we think about mental health in our students, one statistic, and not to scare you, (laughs) is that mass shootings on campuses are disproportionately done by graduate students. That's not to say that the majority are done, but as far as the population of graduate students as compared to how many of them are executing these violent crimes is higher. And it's really because they have so much skin in the game. If anything happens, if they don't pass their comps, if for some reason there's some other thing that seems to be a disruption in their process, it's internalized very heavily. And if they don't have community, if they don't have somewhere to go, if they're not made aware of the mental health resources, as well as other resources on campus available to them, basically from the beginning, then And you can have a crisis that is a danger both to them as well as potentially to your campus. And so it's in everyone's best interest that we understand and support these students as they're part of our community. And you are so right. I mean, it is scary. And I remember when I was in uh, working on my master's, there was an incident. I want to say it was UC San Diego. Mm -hmm. I want to say process the, the defending the dissertation. And apparently this student did not pass, and this was the third 
time that he was going yeah. to defend. And I want to say it was like engineering, very high tech. You know, all our processes are hard. So let, let me not downgrade what we do. But in this case, I want to say this male student was an engineering person. And the issue that happened is he ended up killing his dissertation committee. Oh, my goodness. And here I am as a master's student, not even thinking about the doctoral piece, but like, oh, my God, if that's what that does, do I even want to go about being a doctor of education? Not only was it crazy and scary to think that he did that, but it was premeditated. He had gone to the room prior and had taped guns underneath different desks. So there is the mental part of it. There was, I'm assuming, a lack of support, a lack of community for that student that he had to come to that instance of premeditating if they denied him again. And that is just the scariest thing. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm not violent like that. And and most of us are not. But is it that stressful that you would want to kill your dissertation committee? So I am so glad that this KC is looking to really partner with academics because, I mean, that's the worst thing that a professor can tell you is like, you know, I don't think this is your thing. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You don't even know me. You're just basing it on what you think you know of me one night a week for three hours. You don't know that I have three or four kids. You don't know that I'm commuting two hours to campus. You know, you know, you don't know all the other things that we as student affairs professionals know because we deal with our students on a daily basis. And the academic side in most cases, and I don't mean to downgrade that, but are there to teach and that's what they know. And they're good at that particular chemistry, biology, engineering, whatever that is, but they don't see the other side when the student is not in their classroom. And that's where student affairs comes in. So when you said that we need to partner with academic affairs to stop trying to compete who's more important on the campus, especially when it comes to grad students, we need to give them the love and attention that we give our undergrads, period. And that power dynamic that you're talking about, it's awful. And so my question to you is what types of articles, presentations that AGAPS have done to help with this process of learning more about graduate level students? So there are only so many. And one of the things that I would definitely recommend is during our national conference, looking for the sponsored presentations that we have. I personally did the Essay Speaks last year. So that's available online um, on YouTube, regardless of how I may have felt about my outfit. It still is very valuable information. (laughs) In addition to that, if they want to get in touch with us, we actually have a running bibliography of some resources that we have available. There are also CAS standards, which just to let you know, like how recently people started actually talking about this, the first CAS standards around graduate and professional students was in 2004. So there's been a second iteration since then. And so looking at those CAS standards, I think is important. But one of the most important things I think is having conversations with your colleagues that are working with graduate and professional students. They are definitely different, but they are all of ours. And one of the things that you'll find in the essay speaks, one of the first things I say is when you say students, do you mean, and kind of like on Google where you type in students, but what you really meant was undergraduate students. And I find that's one of the things that's most important is that we're not an island on the campus, that everybody recognizes that graduate students are all of our students, even if you're not necessarily always interacting with them daily. And so, and if you have services that are not available to graduate students, being very clear about that. Because I think that 
what I found is we have wonderful colleagues, right? And they like to help people. And so nobody likes to say, I don't help you here. (laughs) However, graduate students are very autonomous. And so they tend to want to look things up and figure things out for themselves. And if they come to you and then they find out you aren't willing to help them or don't have resources to help them, that's very discouraging and makes them feel further out of the loop of our community. And so just being very clear about whether or not you serve graduate students and considering serving graduate students and what that would mean in your role. I know none of us are have a plethora of time to add a whole bunch of other responsibilities, but thinking about how you, you can integrate your graduate and professional students into some of your existing programs, I think is really important. But as I was saying, the number one resource you have are the people on campus who already work with graduate and professional students, especially because still at this point, the graduate student experience can be very germane to your particular campus. And so you want to find out how do I best support this population where I am. And you are absolutely right. And I know from my experience, and I'm always one in our student affairs meeting saying, hey, like, for example, you guys, we're treating transfer students like stepchildren. We need to have a more intentional program. I was the one saying, look, as a grad student, I know how they feel. I was there. We've got to be more intentional. And so that way, not only will that help our students, but it also helps our retention numbers. Absolutely. So for example, when you said a student that has that meeting with academia that says, oh, you know, we don't think you fit this and all of that. And then all of a sudden your classmate has disappeared and you're like, wait a minute, what happened to Linda? And it's like, oh, she dropped out. And it was like, why she dropped out? Well, her advisor said that she doesn't fit. She should have had the institution, wherever that was, should have had other means for her or him to ensure that person that they are, they need to be there. We want them there. And what are some of the things to help them feel like they belong? And I say that in the sense that I'm the former director of our Center for Black Cultural and Student Affairs at the University of Southern California. And around that same time that you were talking about, um, I believe you said 2004, around that time in running that Black Cultural Center for, to shorten the title, there were graduate student organizations that were popping up because of things like that. So there was the creation of the Black Graduate Student Network. There's, you know, the Latinos, you know, all the different, especially under rep. You know, being that I was in the cultural centers, we had a Black cultural center, Latino cultural center, Asian, and LGBT. So the Latino cultural center and the Black cultural center, at the beginning of each school year, we would have the Black and Latino graduate student network. Because now the students could meet each other in a reception type atmosphere informal yet slightly formal, but they don't know it, (laughs) and be able to see each other. And then when classes start the next week, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I met you last week. Now you have a familiarity just like the freshmen. I mean, it seems like sometimes our upper administration don't understand that we've got to give more love, for lack of better words, to our graduate level students. I know there are some, we have the student government, student senate, AS, whatever it's called at the different campuses, Right. but there's also a graduate student senate. Do you have one of those at your institution? 
So we do. But what I found is that there are a lot of places where graduate student voice is relatively muted. And so I think that's very important too. what you're saying, not only for them to have representation, but for that representation to be tied to something substantial like the undergraduate student government is. Because if you have concerns and you're just getting sitting around and talking about them, but you never interact with administration, those concerns aren't going to go anywhere, which is very unfair to our students. Absolutely. And like you said, their voices are muted and people don't understand because, of course, not to beat on our well-seasoned folks, but they were in school a long time ago and things have changed. We have to remember that every student is important. And we at NASPA, Student Affairs Professionals, we need to continue to put that out. And like you said, you have some sponsored coming up with our upcoming professional conference. And I'm sure over the years that you've had different presentations and I'm hoping that you will continue to do it because I think folks just don't get it. I heard you say something about how we have to remember to use our own resources. And so my first semester of grad school, I had to have carpal tunnel surgery on my right hand and I'm right handed. So I get back to school in spring and I'm just like, oh my God, how am I going to take notes? Now, mind you, I've been a student affairs at this point, maybe 15 years. I know all the resources on campus. You know all the resources on campus. But when we think about ourselves, it just didn't dawn on me. Corliss, go downstairs to disability service because guess what? You have a temporary disability. And I really had to sit there and be like, oh, exactly. You know how how students know these things, right? (laughs) right? And I said the exact same thing. I'm currently suffering with psoriatic arthritis. And I said to myself, no, that's okay. And then I sat through a presentation yesterday from our disability director and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I not accessing this resource? And if I know better and can do better, then I certainly know how difficult that can be for our students as well. Exactly. And I just thought, and then for me, it's really was like one floor down. That's what made it so stupid for me. I was like, oh, when I went in and I said, okay, hi, you know, of course I know who the persons are. And I'm like, you know, I'm taped up. I said, I can't take notes. And she was like, girl, you should have been down here. That's okay. So, you know, and just like we would have a student that would walk in our office with a cast on, we're on. We know, boom, we know exactly what to do. Okay, go down disability service. You're going to such and such. They're going to get a letter that's going to be emailed to the professor and there'll be some accommodations that the professor will have to do for you. And, and, and I'm just sitting there like, you know, for one of those old school words, duh, I am so stupid that I'm not even thinking about this for ourselves. And like you said, the same thing. So, of course, I had a note taker. So they said, well, why don't you get someone that's in the class with you? And then therefore, they're taking notes for themselves and for you and typing them up or whatever the case may be. And so what ended up happening was the professor would send out the slides ahead of time because I couldn't write. So not only did it benefit me, but it benefited the whole class. Everybody's like, yeah, thank God Corliss had surgery. We got the notes, you know, (laughs) but it's just that simple. And so, like you said, as student affairs professionals, and we know student affairs inside and out, and we're not even using it for ourselves, and we know it, think about our grad students. And you have made some very important points about making sure that they are in the loop. And so with your KC, and I'm sure you're, you're constantly doing something to have some type of presentation. I'm sure that, you know, with the sponsored presentation for upcoming conferences, what are the sponsored ones that you have seen in the past, if you can kind of remember the theme of them or upcoming ones? So a couple of things that I wanted to make our listeners aware of, we are having a luncheon 
learn, which will be online. Uh, it'll be a webinar and it's going to be called Working with Students in Distress, Graduate Student Mental Health. And that's going to be on February 12th at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. If they email our KC or if they wanted to email me, dbozeman at uchicago.edu, I can send them the link to register for that. It is free. Also, we have our pre-con, which is actually, we have a pre-conference every year for AGAP. So I know a lot of KCs may decide one year to the next that they're going to have a pre-conference. We always have a pre-conference. And partially because we have very specific topics that we want to dig into when it comes to graduate and professional students. We like to spend a full day with each other, commiserating with people who really understand the experience of supporting these graduate and professional students. And so that happens the Sunday before the larger conference. It is a full day on March 10th. And so we would love to see you there. So consider registering for our pre-conference if you want to get like a real deep understanding of working with graduate and professional students. And there are a multitude of topics that we will be talking about at that time. Additionally, some of the kind of things that we talk about from mental health to Title IX to advisor-advisee relationships to things like maintaining relationships during graduate school, that can be very difficult. Those are also the kind of topics that we have as well. So please do look for our sponsored topics, our sponsored programs during the conference in LA. Consider joining us for our pre-conference workshop on the 10th. And again, it is a full day pre-conference. And then additionally, the free online lunch and learn that we have. If you want to email me, I can definitely send you the link to register for that. Well, as our time is running out, it's important for us as student affairs professionals, not only the ones who work with graduate students, but just to have this type of knowledge, because if you're in student affairs, you're servicing all students. And so you need to be able to know what resources are there for our graduate students, as well as our undergrads. All students are important. And that's what NASPA is about. Student affairs, professionals in higher education and especially with our grad students. And the other piece about NASPA is there's so many folks that attend the conference that are in grad school. So they are trying to learn more about what other resources, even within NASPA, coming to your KC general meetings, you know, what other resources are there for them in NASPA for graduate students that are also working professionals. So I definitely thank you for sharing all of that great knowledge. And I'm sure that your experience as a graduate student right now is definitely helping to even give some more personal best practices as well as current best practices in dealing with our graduate level students. So I really thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm hoping that our general body will definitely look at attending your pre-conference since it is every year. So there's no excuse. So if they didn't sign up for this year, we know it's going to happen. We know that you guys are going to come up with quality presentations each year. And like you said, going to your website via NASPA to find out what other resources are out there to help our graduate student population. Because those graduate students are our future leaders in NASPA. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this very important topic. Good luck to you as you move closer to defending (laughs) because that's a whole (laughs) other animal. Yes. (laughs) But with you working with grad students and understanding graduate students and you being in this KC, I am sure and I am positive you will do well. 
Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, you continue having a great day and we look forward to future topics and future academic writings on this topic. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.